Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. the Lord. It's great to finally be preaching on James. I'm so excited. I love this book so much. As I mentioned before, the very first book of the Bible that, that I was able to read and that touched my heart as a little girl. So we are going to jump straight into the book of James. James chapter 1 verse 1 says this, James A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is introducing himself, he's written a letter and he just wants to let people know who he is. I'm James. And who are you, James? I serve God and I serve my Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the wonderful thing about James. He was actually Jesus' brother. Technically, half-brother. So imagine imagine growing up with Jesus. Jesus. Imagine Imagine that. that. Did anybody ever have a perfect brother or sister? Guys? Eleanor? What's that? Luke, yes, I was waiting for that. So we we did. We I had four and uh, they were all wonderful children. But Luke was basically he didn't get in trouble. He just he did things on the sly, I found out years later, but <laughs> when he was a bit older. But most of the time, he was just the sweetest, nicest guy, and he just didn't get in trouble. And it was, it's actually quite annoying, apparently. Like, we didn't have anyone perfect in my family, so I don't know growing up. But, but um, you know, I do reward charts and try to sort of make a little bit competitive, you know, who could win? Like, if we put stars for this one, who's, who's done the most washing up? Who's been the best, you know? And... I had to stop doing them because Luke won all the time. And the kids were like, what's the point? There's no point doing it. Luke's just going to win. And I'm like, they're right. They're, they're, they're right. So um, I don't know if Luke's watching this. but So we had, to, we had to find a new ways, new ways of dealing with the situation of having a child that really, he just didn't do much wrong. So we had, well, Keelan's also been perfect, haven't you, Keelan? Yes, he has in his own special way. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> growing up with Jesus would have been very interesting because Jesus was actually perfect. Jesus never sinned, never, never. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having a brother that never does one thing wrong? He always obeys his parents. He always does the washing up. He never complains. He never did anything wrong. He is sinless as a child and a teenager. So we know that there was, it was quite a large family. Obviously, Mary was the mother and James uh, Joseph was Jesus' stepfather, actually. He wasn't technically... DNA connected at all because Jesus is half from God and half from Mary. But uh, he was James's father. And we know that Jesus had four younger half-brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Jude. And we also know that he had at least two sisters because the brothers were named, but they said, and his sisters came as well. That's in Mark 6.3. So we know he had two sisters. So it's quite a large family. And Jesus was just perfect. 
the perfect older brother. And I can imagine when they're all fighting, you know, had to get dressed to go to synagogue or something. And Jesus is just all organised and helping the younger kids, you know, and being perfect. Can you imagine James and Jude getting a bit annoyed? Like, well, Jesus never does anything wrong. You know, just do, if Jesus says to do it, just do it, James. Don't argue. He says, oh, what? he thinks he's perfect, I bet. It's like, Mary's thinking, well, yes, he... He is perfect. Like, it's just such an interesting concept. I can't, I can't wait to, um, to find out what that was like in their family growing up. However, we see that as adults, it, it, they didn't appreciate that. They knew Jesus was perfect. They grew up with him. But when they were adults, they were not happy with his ministry at all, and including James. So in Mark 3.21, we read that the family came, it said his own came to him and they tried to stop him and it, it, he, they actually accused him of being insane. So he, he goes off and starts preaching and James, along with his brothers, they're just like, this, it's just crazy what he's doing, he's starting this new sect, this isn't good. So they went to try and stop him from preaching. And later the, the religious teachers joined in with the brothers they, I've written here, they probably thought he had a Messiah complex or something, you know. Who, who the flip does he think he is? <laughs> the, the religious leaders, of course, said he was possessed by a devil. Later in John 7, 3, we see how Jesus is trying to give him advice. So they're, at one time they're trying to stop him. Then they're trying to say, well, if you're going to do it, just at least say this or don't, don't, you know, don't talk about tithing Jesus. Like that always gets people annoyed or don't, you know. So, but it, they didn't take his advice. So they obviously... They didn't believe in him. They just trying to direct him. So Jesus made an interesting comment about family when he's trying to deal with his family. He says in Matthew ten thirty four, and I really felt the Lord wanted me to talk a little bit about this this family side of the book of James because James is Jesus' brother. Jesus said this: "Do not suppose I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword." I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. No, no, stay with me. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So that's really interesting. Obviously, we are called to honour and love our parents. Jesus isn't for one minute saying that we shouldn't love one another. But it's just that our love for God must come first. God must come first because He is God. So if our family say to us, you need to stop going to that church or you, need, you shouldn't be believing in God, then unfortunately and sadly and sometimes almost tragically, we have to go, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dad, but I, I, I can't, I, I will keep following Jesus. I, I will. He's right. And hopefully, you know, things work out, but sometimes they don't. And I just wanted to encourage you because, you know, lately um, I have lots of friends in Sydney because, you know, I grew up there and we went to church there for a while. And it's amazing just so many of my friends, I mine their lives for stories, by the way, because I can't share mine all the time, can I? Like, and I can't share all of yours because you might recognise them. So <laughs> I, I just get them to tell me stories. And I can't believe how many of them have quite sad stories around their families. Really quite sad stories. I've got some of them here. 
one of my friends um, connected with a long lost sister who was sort of, you know, a sister popped up as they do sometimes. And so she connected with her and, and it just was very healing and beautiful to create this new relationship. And she looks just like this other sister. But her sister that she grew up with is terribly jealous about it and now refuses to speak to her. And she's like, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to be loving. But she's like, no, that's shameful. You shouldn't be close to her. And so it's created this terrible rift between the sisters because she's just trying to reach out to this one who felt very left out and not part of the family. Another one of my friends who I just saw the other day, um, really wanted to honour and love her mother. So she was a very good daughter. She visited regularly. She gave her the meals. She did everything as her mother grew older. But the mother, unfortunately, used that as a kind of a weapon with the other kids. Like, you know, you never visit me like she visits me and you never, and she does this. And so the result was that the other kids ended up really furious with her. And, and getting angry. And so it caused this whole big rift. And she said, I tried to say to them, look, I... I, I'm not. I'm not upset with you, okay? Like, I'm just trying to be a good daughter here. And yeah, well, you know. so I'm like, wow. You just try to be a good daughter, and you oh, cause all these problems. Another one of my friends. It, I, honestly, every single one I thought of, every one, I realised they all have it. One of my friends has a brother who refuses to work and refuses to do anything, and he lives at home with his mother, just sort of doing nothing. Um, so you know, he's gradually sort of got sick, really. And she tries to sort of do something with him, you know, rings him up and she, he can never see her when she wants and he, she can never do the right thing. And then he's always blaming her for being a terrible sister. He says, you are the worst sister, you never support me. And she's like, I, I, I ring him and then he won't answer. But then he rings me and says, you've got to do something today. And she's like, I'm busy today. So he expects her to be at his beck and call. And then the mother turns around. Now the mother's getting onto the sister and saying, you need to be a better sister, you're not looking after your brother. And she's like, he's a growing man. Why do I have to, you know, it's like, what? So one more, because I could just endless. This lovely, lovely couple in Sydney, lovely couple. And the uncle died and he had no children. So he's going to leave, you know, some money to the three nieces and nephews. He's not going to leave them to them anymore because the other brothers and sisters convinced this guy that they'd give it all to the church. So they just got cut out. And they were like, no, 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 because they don't, they don't need it, but they're kids, you know, they're trying to buy houses in Sydney. So they, went, they said to um, the uncle before he died, no, no, we won't, we, we really won't, we're going to let our kids use it for a deposit. But he went, no, didn't trust them. So they said, oh, you know, a bit hard to handle when it comes from your other siblings, who obviously got more. So, I know, family. So Jesus said in Mark 3.35, this is what he said, when at one point the brothers and sisters came and said, you need to come with us. And, and someone said to Jesus, your brothers and sisters are outside. So, you know, you because you think, well, they're family. Don't I have to do what family says? Don't I have to fit in with family? And Jesus said this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Interesting question. Who are actually? And he looked at those seated in a circle around him. And he said, these are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So he didn't disown his family by any means, but he made it clear that his priority was the kingdom of heaven and eternal relationships 
have top priority. Very interesting, isn't it? So when they were demanding he did one thing, say, you need to skip church on Sundays, we've got this new thing happening on Sundays. It's like, no, you need to do this, you need to, you know, and families can be strong. (laughs) Who's in the circle? Who's in this circle around us? Right here, in this circle. It was interesting, it was like, Jesus' disciples were right there with him, living life with him, agreeing with him, moving forward in the kingdom with him. And that may include family. But if it doesn't, we're going to still move forward in the kingdom with the people that God has placed in the circle around us. I thought that was very, very interesting. So I just want to encourage you, if anyone here, and dare I say, if I asked you, I'm sure you would tell me your stories too, if you've got family things, Jesus did too. And it must, he must have felt it. It must have been hard for him and hard for them. It's a very difficult situation. But we follow Jesus first and God will show us how to deal with it. So Jesus died. And here's another very sad point. And I'd never really noticed this before. But we always say how lovely it is, you know, when Jesus died and he had the energy, he's dying on the cross, to say to John, the beloved disciple, John, this is your mother. This is your son. So he's basically telling John, can you look after my mum when he's dying, which is showing great honour for his mother, as he should, as we should, you know, always look after and honour our parents. But John... Where was James? Where was Jesus' brothers? He's dying on the cross and they are not there, not interested, not, not supporting their brother, not, you know, I'm sure they heard. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. Oh, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to go near it. And not only that, but he didn't say to James, James, make sure you look after mum, your own mother. He had to ask John because he knew that John was the man of God and he wanted a man of God to look after his mother, not even her own son. So he had, he had a few. So that's, that's, that's sad. That's really sad. That just shows even at death, the fracturing of the family. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. Now, of course, he brought peace to our hearts. He brought peace between us and God. But sometimes people don't like that we're right with God. They don't, it, it's, it's confronting. And so they, they're angry about that. But Jesus won't compromise. We, don't, we can't compromise truth and love and peace and joy just to fit in with what the world wants, even if the world is our family. So, however, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we read this, that Jesus, when he'd risen from the dead, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So there's a lot of people that saw Jesus alive, which, by the way, is one of the main evidences of Christianity. There are a lot of people that saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead and had all those witnesses, then the whole of Christ, their whole faith falls apart. But they all knew it was true. There was a lot of people that said, yeah, he rose from the dead. I saw him. Yeah, I, I saw him as well. Like, it was a big deal. And then it says this, and after that, he was seen by James. <laughs> so Jesus had a special meeting with his brother. He made a real point of making sure that James saw him. And that's all we know. We don't, have, we don't know anything that was said at that meeting. We just know that something amazing happened to James at that point. 
And I think that's very encouraging when it comes to our families. If you do have issues with any of your family members, never give up. Jesus didn't give up on them. He, he kept loving them to the end. He was strong. He, he had his boundaries. He stayed in the faith, but he kept loving them. And he reached out to James that one more time. And James is like, all right, <laughs> you're the Lord. So, you know, we have family. One of the reasons I think we have family is because we're kind of stuck with them forever. <laughs> you can't, you know, friends sometimes come and go a little bit. And family, you can try to be estranged from a family member, but it's kind of then you're estranged from a family member. Do you know what I mean? Then it's like, I never see my sister. It's not like someone that you can just forget about. It's like, I never see my sister. They're always your sister. You always know. And so I think God's designed family, obviously, to support and love us. But if the support and love isn't there, it's also a wonderful opportunity for us to keep loving and to keep reaching out to these people that maybe we don't click with, but they're family. So we just keep loving them. And Jesus kept loving. And I love that. And James was transformed after that. So he... um, He was in the upper room. When they all got together in the upper room after waiting for the Holy Spirit, it says that that James was there and his brothers and his mother. So they were all there. James must have spoken to the others and said, guys, and they would have gone, I know, I always thought he was perfect. (laughs) And now they know. He eventually became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He was a very influential man. He was known as James the Just And we see him, they turned to James when they were dealing with a lot of difficult issues in the church, how to fit in the Gentiles, what do you know, because they were Jews and they had Gentile rules, which rules do we follow? James was the guy who led with wisdom and the Word of God and, and helped them to figure out what to do. So he also wrote a book in the New Testament, as we see. And just out of interest, one other brother, Jude, he also was influential in the church and also wrote the book of Jude. So um, also another half-brother of Jesus. So finally the fruit came through after Jesus was dead. (laughs) The brothers finally got saved. And so there we see James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no, he's not trading off his relationship with Jesus. There's no, well, you know, I, I grew up with him. He's my brother. You know, James, a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, or James, the eminent James, the just leader of the Church of Jerusalem, significant figure in the Christian church and the uh, writer of one of the books of the Bibles. (laughs) You know, he just, I'm just a servant here and I'm serving Jesus. I'm now serving my brother. And can I just say, if you have a, a brother or sister or mother or anyone who's godly and you can help them and you can serve them, do so. Do so. We, we, don't, we don't play games here. We're like, I can't do that. That's my brother. I can't, I can't listen. You know, I don't want to listen to Eleanor preaching. She's my daughter. It's like, it, she's good. Do you know what I'm saying? So we, we recognise the Spirit of God and we don't, you know, there's no playing games with our positions. So praise the Lord. There are actually, just, in, just so as you know, there is a couple of other James in the Bible, so you don't get confused. This is James, the writer of the book of James, and known as James the Just. There is also two disciples called James. So James Zebedee, who was the brother of John, and James the son of Alphaeus. There's also another James who was the father of the disciple Thaddeus. So 
There's at least four Jameses in the Bible in case you get confused. But um, this is the one we're talking about. So praise God, that's James. He's writing a book and that's the first thing he says. The second thing, let's go to verse 2. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow, that is the most outrageous beginning to a letter I can even imagine. Imagine if uh, you know, I'm overseas or Ellen is overseas or Hudson, we write them a nice letter. I did write Hudson a few letters when he was in the army. We used to love writing to him because you couldn't use your phone so much. Imagine if the first thing I said was, Hudson, I know it's hard in the army, so just be really happy. And the harder it is, the happier you should be. He'd be like, yeah, thanks, Mum. Like, right. You know, you tend to be sort of, you, you go more the soft approach, like, are you okay, darling? My darling child. You know, you don't, you don't go with the, we don't, you don't start a letter like that. So James just does not muck around straight into it. He is saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now trials in the Bible, the word for trials and the word for testing, temptation are all the same, which is interesting. So the, the devil uses, he tempts us, but God tests us. So what the devil uses to tempt us away from God, God uses to test us to be stronger. It's the same word, a test or a temptation or a trial. So I would say that this is probably one of the least obeyed verses in the Bible. Who does this? Count it all joy when you fall into any kind of temptation or trial. Count it all joy. I like the fact that it's got the word all in there. I mean, I, I, I literally was driving along the other day feeling miserable and going, oh, I'm not counting it joy and I'm preaching about it on Sunday. Like, who do, like we don't, if something bad happens, you don't count it all. When your family's having a go at you, you don't go, this is all joy, do you? Like, we just don't. We go, this is just miserable. This is the worst. We, we complain. We um, sometimes, we feel depressed. We feel sad, like this is so, I have, I have such a terrible family or I have, maybe it's some other test, I don't know. It's any test, any various, it's various trials, maybe sickness. We get bitter, we grumble, or perhaps we just soldier on. Oh, well, that's just life, you know, soldier on. So we don't give up, but we don't exactly count it all joy. Or maybe we do give up. Maybe we go, no, I'm done. I'm done with church. Or, you know, even some people give up on life almost when trials and difficulties come our way. But he wants us, James is saying, I want you to count it joy. So I really have spent all week thinking about what does that look like? Because we know that we are allowed to be emotional, all right? God does not, he's not... He's aware of our emotions and we see in the book of Psalms that David gives full vent to emotions. So there is a place for processing and venting emotions, for saying, I'm struggling or this is hard or this is sad or I feel sad. Of course, of course. But we've got to get to a place where we've processed and then we go, but I will rejoice. The Lord, the Lord used because I, I remember talking to the Lord about this a lot because I was... Vent, used to vent quite a lot, didn't I, darling? 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, permission to process. Chris would just go, right, so what you've got to do is just be happy. And I go, wow, babe, thanks. Why didn't I think of that? Like, he's uh, getting a bit better with his masculine advice, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, stop it. Just don't. Well, I feel really bad. Well, just don't. What? What? How do you do that? I don't understand. Probably, I don't know if you men understand that, but I didn't understand that. I'm like, what? What? Just stop it? Yeah, stop. Anyway, um, that didn't work for me. Uh, <laughs> and then so, <clears throat> so because I and then I used to quote Bible at him and go, well, what about the Book of Lamentations? That wouldn't even exist if the guy just stopped. Like, that's a whole book about processing, isn't it? Like, so anyway, we've we've worked it out. It's okay. We're staying married. It's all right. We're good. We're good. So, <laughs> but. I remember talking to the Lord about it and saying, look, Lord, I need to process, but I want to count it all joy. How does this work? And I said, you know, in the Psalms, David would, he'd let go. He'd really. And I always remember the Lord saying to me, get to the end of the Psalm. Just get to the end of the Psalm. And I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. First of all, lament if necessary or have your feelings, but then stop. The Psalms end, don't they? And normally at the end of most Psalms, he rejoices. He'll go, oh, and then he goes, but let's do this. Let's know that God is good. Let's rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will praise the Lord. He, he turns at the end of the psalm, generally, David. Not always, because some of the psalms are you know, longer. But he finishes that process of sadness and he moves into a process of happiness. And we are commanded to do it here by James. And I always say, the Bible never tells us to do something if we can't do it. It, it, it would be very unfair of God to command us to behave in a certain way, but, well, you don't understand, Ruth, or God, I can't do that. It's like, don't tell God what you can do. He made you. He knows exactly what you're capable of. So to count it all joy, he says, count it all joy. And then he says, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So that's the first thing. We've got to get to that place of knowing the truth. Rather than believing lies, like my life is terrible, I'm a, I'm a worm or I'm so depressed or nothing. You know, there's a whole bunch of lies the devil throws at us. We need to know the truth. God is good. He's testing me. He wants me to grow. We've got to think of it from God's perspective. He's allowing this. I don't know why, but He is allowing it. And it says there that he actually even gives us the reason. It's, it, it will have a perfect work. It will produce patience. So we need to know this and believe it and speak it. Okay, God, you are testing me. This is causing me to have endurance. Because te- the, 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 the worst tests are the ones that go for a while, aren't they? It's easy if something's quick. The ones that go for a, a week or two or three or four years or five or ten years or twenty years. Some tests go for your whole life. It's like, God, deliver me. But he is producing patience and patience, endurance. Patience isn't just like, just oh, well, just wait till it's over. It's like, I'm going to have an enduring attitude of joy and faith and hope. I'm going to stand firm through this test with a great character. So we, we actually have to know that and believe it, and switch our mind into believing what the Word of God says. We need to speak words of gratitude. We need to say it. 
I trust in you, God. My times are in your hands. I will rejoice in your goodness. We need to speak the Word of God. This is what I actually do when I'm counting it joy. I go, right, I know what's true. I'm going to speak the Word. I say Psalm 103, that works for me. You know, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, praise His holy name. It's good to learn a psalm off by heart so you can just rattle it off when you need to. You're in the car, just rattle off the Word of God. It, it shifts you. I did this the other day in the car. I just started saying Psalm 103 and I felt really good. The Bible is powerful. And I was like, yes, yes, that's better. And then we just keep serving. We keep worshipping. We keep going. We keep focusing on God. We just do life. That's how we count it joy. We, we believe that what's right. We speak what's right. And then we just keep worshipping God, loving Him and moving forward. You know, I was babysitting the other day and it reminded me, babysitting, children are hard work, you forget, <laughs> you do forget, but um, they're such a delight, but it is very busy, isn't it? I realised at the end of the day, my feet were sore because I hadn't sat down all day. So every time you sit down for one second, it's like, ah, it's like, okay, I'm up. But it did remind me that how much I disliked raising children in Russia because we were missionaries in Russia for a little while, as some of you know. We were in an apartment that was not particularly pleasant. It was pretty old, like as in hundreds and hundreds of years old, because it was Russia. But um, I just remember a lot of things about it were difficult. You know, we didn't have healthy food. And uh, it was hard. Chris was great. He used to go scouring around at that time. I was very pleased. We were in Russia in the 90s. God opened the door for us to go to Russia. And we lived there during the 90s. And we found it quite hard to live, just life. And we've been going back for the last 30 years. The whole time we were going back, the prophets, all the prophets all around the world in regard to Russia said the door is open, but it will shut. And they were right. So praise God we went back while we could. It's shut now. But we, by the, by the, in the last few years when we went back, people had T-shirts that said, I survived the 90s. It's a thing. I went, wait, so you found the 90s hard as well? Go, oh, the 90s were the worst here because communism had ended. Capitalism hadn't barely started. There was just nothing. There was no state supply, but there was no, no capitalism. There was nothing. And so I was like, oh, you've, we found it really hard. So the Russians found it hard. If they're doing that, then... Okay, that was good to know that it wasn't just us being like, you know, precious little Australians. It was, it was a tough time. There, was, there were food shortages. There really was. And uh, it was tough to live there with kids. And I just remember everything was old. Nothing, everyone, everything was falling apart. I, trying to, you know, the children's playground. So we go out every day into the freezing cold. Hudson fought and fought and fought because he never wanted to put on his mittens and his gloves and his... You know, there's like layers and layers and layers to go out into such a freezing winter and he hated it. I mean, you think it's hard to get one, one dress on a child. Try all of that. Can you remember? He just, he, I remember he'd throw himself on the ground and, and, so, and we'd be shoving the... We had to get mittens. We figured out why kids wear mittens because try to get each finger in. It was like, get the mitten on. It was, like, ah. it was a big fight. Actually, one time we just went, right, that's it. We didn't put it on. I mean, oh. We just went outside without putting the layers on because he had a whole ski suit and the gloves and mittens and then you put the scarf around the outside and we just didn't, went outside. It was probably minus 10 or something and we went outside and we just walked out and we were just watching him and he was like, 
He was like, what's happening? My, he was like, oh, he said, yeah, yeah, that's why we dress you. It's cold, okay? So now you will put your gloves and your mittens on and you'll put on your gut. So anyway, he, he, I think he got there. But um, poor little thing. We used to go to, we used to, such a crazy place. You couldn't get petrol. There was not many cars and there was not much petrol. But if you were a, um, what's the word? An F, a um, return soldier, a, a veteran. If you were a veteran, you were allowed to go to the petrol station before any, everyone else. The petrol station queues were between two hours and maybe six hours. So if you wanted to buy petrol, you had to wait in a queue that long to get petrol because it wasn't enough. So who has the time to do that? No one. So that, except the vets were allowed to go early in the morning and get petrol. So they just got all these tins and cans and they filled up everything they had with petrol. And then they set up shop next door to the petrol station. So all the rich foreigners, there was a few of us around, we thought, forget the six-hour queue. We went, we called them the crippled capitalists, right? Because they all were um, Afghanistan army vets. And they were not pretty. It was not a pretty thing. It was really, really sad because they got blown up in Afghanistan and they had a lot of body parts missing and they didn't have like nice sleek wheelchairs like we do. They had wooden benches that they'd sort of, you know, chucked together with old wheels that they'd found from the billy cart and they'd come sort of up to the window and we'd say, yeah, we'll have a tank of petrol and they would give us petrol and we'd pay them a bit extra. They made their money, we didn't have to wait. So it was a great system. The only problem was <laughs> my little boy was terrified. He was just like... We're going to get petrol? No, mummy, no, because you just basically go into this sort of camp of all these strange, poor old vets that were not well looked after and that did not look happy. It was quite, quite confusing. So, um, you know, I, I just found it very difficult and I would just get to complaining. I just would get to hating where I was so much. And here am I trying to be a missionary, you know, trying to tell everyone about Jesus. And I'm just like, I just don't even want to buy petrol. It's like, it's, it's often the everyday part of life that's hard, isn't it? It's it. You go to church, it's like, hi, everyone. But then it's when you have to buy petrol from army vets that you get annoyed. Or, you know, I remember one time he dislocated his, his, his elbow, you know, and we couldn't get any medicine or medical help at all. Because they hadn't that in the 90s. It, it all came eventually, but they just didn't have it at that time. And so there were, you couldn't even get a Panadol in the chemist. So they just had shortages. And I knew a missionary. I thought something's wrong with Hudson's arm. He was sort of hanging, sort of, I thought something's not right. So <laughs> he'd be, some guy had yanked his arm at the playground. So, um, so Arkady, <laughs> bless him. Um, so I, you know, and I was alone. Chris was at the Black Sea. We were starting a church down on the Black Sea near Sochi. Chris had gone down there and I was alone in my flat thinking my son's not right. And again, just, God, like just, oh, this place. Like if I was in Australia, I would go to the doctor, you know, or the hospital or anything. But anyway, I rang, I managed to get onto a friend who was a missionary as well, an American who was a doctor. And I said, told him what was happening. And he goes, yeah, sounds... Yeah, he sounds like he's, he's injured his elbow, possibly a uh, um, dislocation. Now, of course, it was night time. There was no way he was coming to me and there was no way I was going to him because you didn't go out at night. 
Like, you just didn't. It was way too dangerous. It was, so it, that was just another thing. It was like, you just, you know, you just get used to that. It was, he's just telling me on the phone what you're going to have to do. There's no question of, of going to each other. Anyway, um, so he told me how to relocate the elbow. And I remember he said, now you've got to put your finger there, do this, do that. Nikki knows what I'm talking about. She's good at this. So, and, and you have to kind of clunk it back into place. And I'm like, okay. He goes, you think you've got that? And I'm like, I guess. You know, and then, so I did. I did it. And I remember Hudson screaming. And I'm like, ugh. And I didn't know if it would work. I'm like, is it, is it, is it work? He said, you'll know if it works because it, it works. I'm like, use your elbow. And he's just screaming because he's only two or three or something. So then I, I did it again. I remember I did it three times. I'm just like, ugh. Anyway, here's the thing. I found it very difficult and I disliked it and I found it very hard to not complain and grumble, be miserable, be sad, be depressed, all of those things. But here's, it says count it joy. I had to go to a place of joy. I had to learn what does it mean to, to really find the good in these situations and be grateful for all you're going through and know that, see, now when I look back, apart from providing great preaching stories, <laughs> I'm so grateful for our time in Russia. I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to love those. Oh, look, someone's randomly put a photo of us. There we are. There's Hud- See how Hudson was dressed? Can you imagine? That little blob on my side, by the way, that's Eleanor. She was just, she, she had so many clothes on, she couldn't move. She's just like that. <laughs> um, thanks, babe. That must have been you. Um, so I, I, it was, I'm now so grateful. Yes, there he is in the playground. Thank you. Thank you for that little visual. I'm so grateful that it was hard. I'm so grateful we had the opportunity to love our beautiful Russian brothers and sisters while we had opportunity. I'm so grateful for what God taught me. Looking back with perspective, it was just fantastic. It was so good for me and I praise God for it. And You know, John Bunyan says this, it's always hard to see the purpose in wilderness wanderings until after they are over. So let us remember that. Let patience have its perfect work, that you, you may be complete God's not putting you through these hard times because He wants to make it hard for you. He wants to see how good you're going to be. He actually wants you to change. He says that you may be complete, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You, you, just, you just sometimes cannot get through unless you actually go through the hard times. You cannot sometimes get that character unless He puts you through that test. So I want you to just go, all right, I'll look back on this one day and go, I'm glad I went through it all. I'm glad it was tough. I'm glad. And he says that, rejoice. Now, I'll just finish with the last two verses. He says this in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We're going to need wisdom to get through all of these things. And that's a great scripture because it says, just ask God. Just say, God, I'm not coping or how do I cope with this? How do I deal with this issue? How do I deal with this family member? We, you know, going back to family things. Jesus was very aware of when to draw the boundary line, when to visit, when to say yes, when to say no. And, you know, it's different for every one of us because we've all got different families. We've all got different trials. <laughs> how do I pay when the interest rates keep going up, Lord? God will give you wisdom. He says, I will give you wisdom. I'll show you. 
Don't doubt that for a minute, that God will show you the way through. He'll show you, how am I going to deal with this? How can I get through? And then go to verse 12 and James says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptations or trials, same word, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's well worth going through trials and temptations, not just because our character grows, but there's that crown of life. He says, when he has been approved. I find that interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like, you go, are we done yet, God? It's like, yes. It's like, yay, I'm approved. Do you know what I mean? So I, if I'm ever going through anything, I just try to get through it as quick as I can. I'm like, right, get your attitudes right, Ruth. Let's see how fast we can get through this test. But it says, when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life. I don't know what that crown is. It's also mentioned in Revelation 2.10. It's not salvation. It's some, one of the rewards. There's other crowns mentioned in the Bible. We'll be rewarded. Will that crown be now on earth? Maybe. I don't know. Or will it be one of the crowns in heaven? I don't know. But whatever it is, I want it. If we go through these things and we endure, we'll receive a crown of life. So let us do that. Let us be like, take James' advice and be some of the few Christians that actually obey James 1.1, James 1.2. Count it all joy. Praise God. Come on, saints. Let's pray. While I was speaking, you may have had a particular trial or difficulty in mind with family or finances. I want you to just hold your hand out and imagine that it's just sitting in your hand before God, that whole issue. And I want to pray over that for you, that you have wisdom. Father, you see all the issues in this church. I pray, Father, that you give wisdom to everyone in this church, Lord God, to deal with our trials, our troubles. I pray, Father God, that we would be an obedient people and that we would learn to count it joy. We would learn to count it joy. Show us how to do that, God. So we want to have great characters. We want to be rewarded, Lord. Thank you for your hand on every person here. Thank you that that trial is ordained for them, Lord God. It's the right trial. And you'll get every one of us through it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.